Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 will be there at verse 12 in just a, a few moments here. In his notes on Romans 8, verses 12 to 17, where we are this morning, Martin Luther said that we cannot rightly obey God or persevere in our faith if our relationship with God is characterized by fear instead of love. Quoting here, since he who is feared must of necessity be hated. End quote. What does the Holy Spirit of God, who now dwells in every believer as our inward man, this new man, the new me, what does he do? What does he do in me? How does he cause us to produce fruit in good works that are pleasing to God? How does he motivate us? How does he get us to live the Christian life? Life by force, by threats. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was crucified, he prayed to his father to ask if there was a way for the cup of wrath he had to drink, the way that it had to be in his flesh here. Was there a way around that? Could it come about another way to accomplish the salvation? Of the world. We know that Jesus finally resolved, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But before he got to that point in his prayer in Mark 14 36, literally um, sweating drops of blood, literally as his human body was breaking under the strain and the pressure of what he had to do, he cried out in that moment in particular that we know of, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. When you and I, beloved, are suffering under the weight and the burden of being in our flesh, do we fight sin like we are slaves that will be cast aside if we fail? So we better get to work and work harder or we're out. We'll be punished. Or... Like sons. And I know the Bible sometimes says sons and maybe uh, female Christians think, I wish he would have said sons and daughters. And there are certainly places where it says brothers, but the Greek could go brothers or brothers and sisters, right? Either way. But there is something to God referring to all of us, men and women in the faith, as sons. That has meaning for us. Are we free sons or are we fearful slaves? What mindset, what orientation should we have? What if what Jesus prayed there that night in the garden and how He calls God Abba in that moment is the place we should look and draw our faith from since from now on with our minds, the new in us, we serve the law of God. Indeed, we want to obey Him. But with the flesh, we still serve the law of sin. What if what Jesus prayed in the garden that night is the key, if you will, to unlocking our personal and hopefully ever-increasing understanding of what our lives should be like now as free sons of God? Let me pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word and for Your truth that You have given us here. Lord, help me speak clearly today. Help me do justice in bringing out what you breathed into this text. And Lord, comfort your people. Admonish them. Edify them. Exhort them by your Spirit through this Word. Lord, have your way in me. Help me to speak and help all to hear. Oh God, I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So picking it up here in Romans 8 and verse 12. Therefore, brethren, so real quick, taking us back to the truth from 8.11 with the word therefore, right? In other words, since the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and will give life to your mortal bodies one day through the power of his spirit in resurrection. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Christians, we are debtors now in these mortal bodies, but the one to whom we are in debt is not our mortal body. It is not 
our own flesh with its sinful desires. We are no longer slaves to ourselves to live according to our desires. But, beloved, we have absolutely no obligation. We have no obligation to obey the demands of our flesh anymore. Sin is a willful choice that our flesh no longer has any power to make us perform. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, so he's explaining, defining what he meant by saying according to the flesh, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's talking to Christians. So what Paul is talking about in this section, verse 13 reveals, is how we as believers, those who are in Christ, can and must kill the deeds of the body. That's what Paul is after here. And this is in light of chapter 7, not in contrast to chapter 7. Yes, this flesh that I live in still serves the law of sin. Chapter 7, verse 25. Yes, I have a new desire from God to do what is right, but I do not have the ability to carry out that new desire in 7.18. But, all that being said, Paul says, I must still put the deeds of my flesh, sin, to death in me. My flesh, my flesh. That's a different sermon, right? It's a different topic entirely. My flesh must be pummeled to death. Right? It must be beaten to death. That's an intimidating command, isn't it? How exactly do we do that? Well, some, it's literally beating the flesh to death. Self-flagellation, you know, of monks probably, and that we've read about different times in history, whipping themselves a certain amount of times for certain sins, hoping to literally bring their body under subjection by just the fear of pain. If I do this again, it's going to hurt, so I'll stop doing it. That's one strategy, right? Often effective in an immediate sense. Self, uh, self-flagellation, asceticism, right? You got to be very strict, uh, and, and deny a lot of things and, and, uh, have a lot of rules. And, and given the power of our dead flesh, how powerful the scripture says it is to fulfill our desires, those types of strategies to fight sin and put it to death seem like very wise options, don't they? They seem like wisdom. They look like wisdom. Paul picks up that argument later in the book of Colossians. But let's dig into the words here. This uh, sense of that wording, if I live according to the flesh. Really, the, the, the construction here is, are alive. right? So if I'm alive to the flesh, that is, if the means by which I put my flesh to death is supposed to be my flesh, my will, my strength, my efforts, my devotion, my sincerity, if that's the means by which I have to put the flesh to death, I am going to die in my sin and be condemned. And die here is referring to our final and eternal death. So the deeds of my body must be put to death. Yes, Christian, but we are not responsible for performing that execution. For if by the Spirit you put to death the the deeds of the body, you will live in verse 13. So, the operative question for us now in trying to figure out how we put the deeds of our body to death is, well, to whom am I indebted to live? Who owns me? Right? Who has all the say and authority over me? Who is responsible for giving me the orientation of my mind? Romans 8 is talking to us about the source of our lives now that we are in Christ and His Spirit dwells in us. From where do the power and motivation for living now come? That's what Paul is talking about. When the Word of God tells us we must put to death the deeds of our body, our sin, the gospel, which has been established as the foundation of all this, tells us we must put to death the deeds of our body. But when we hear that, we don't run out and try to do it. That's folly. When we hear a command... As Christians, when we hear the law, do this, put the deeds of the body to death. The first thing we have to understand is, I can't. I cannot, by my flesh, perform the righteousness God requires. I must hear the law, I must then hear the gospel, or apply the gospel to what I've heard. 
the gospel teaches us not to run out and try to do it, but to stop and ask, all right, in light of the fact that I am powerless in my flesh to obey God's commands, how do I, how do I do this? How am I supposed to live now? Where will all this sin-killing power come from in me? And Romans 8 says, if my flesh is where I'll find the power to put the, death, the, the deeds of my body to death, I'm going to die, right? But I've been promised... What do I know by the time I get to Romans 8 and here you must put to death the deeds of the body? I have already died. I'm already dead because I was baptized into the death of Jesus and have been raised to new life in Him. The deeds of the body, that body of death from 724 that can only be a slave to my flesh, to my sin, by the way, has been rendered powerless over me in chapter 6, verse 6, through baptism into Christ. The deeds of the body don't refer so much to each individual thing I actually do that's sin, and I have to knock off every single one of them. That's not really what he's going for here. The deeds of the body are the habits and the ways of life as a whole when I'm ruled by the flesh. The way I live, the deeds that come out of it. This body of death, my mortal body, can only serve king sin. But I am not alive. According to the flesh. I am alive according to the Spirit. So, it is not by the flesh that the deeds of the body can or will be put to death. But by the Spirit, whose power raised Jesus Christ from the dead, living in me, they will be. And look, I don't use the Holy Spirit as a lightsaber to kill sin. That's not the way it works. I don't... Beloved, our victory over sin, putting to death the deeds of the body, does not come about by co-opting the Holy Spirit. It comes about by the fact that the Holy Spirit now lives in me and is the source of my life in Christ Jesus. We'll get to some of this later. Verse 14. For, for that is, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For, in verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. So there's another way of explaining according to put to death for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. That is, are alive by Him, by the Spirit. These are sons of God. Beloved, notice that all you and I are called to do is grounded 100% in who we are and what God has done and what God says is true about us. And since we are not led by, alive according to the flesh, since the flesh isn't in control of us, we will not die. And since we are led by, alive according to the Spirit, we are sons of God. And God doesn't lose His sons. These are statements of fact. These, this, Paul is describing who we are to us. This is happening to us. It's happened in us. The deeds of the body are being put to death in us. That's happening. Because the Spirit dwells within us. We are alive by Him. Where we get into trouble is that we try to put a timeline on it. Right? I've been a Christian for, you know, maybe... I've been a Christian for five years, ten years, twenty years, and I'm still struggling with the same things I was twenty years ago. Am I saved or not? What does the Bible say about you? Right? What does the Bible say about you? You always go back to that. Always. Our debts are being paid and our sins and their guilt are being washed away. Do you know why? Because we are sons of God. So I don't really see these things being put to death in me per se. Like that, I, That's not where I get my confidence by having a a uh, list on my refrigerator of all the sins, and then when I realize that I'm not doing one anymore, I check it off. Hopefully get to check all the boxes before I die. Or That's not how we live. Now, nobody, I, I don't think nobody, you know, anybody does that, but we live like that. We live like that's what we're supposed to be doing. And we talk to other people like that. That's how we, we our testimonies are kind of shaped like that. I used to be like that. Now I'm like this. Be honest. I used to be like this, and I'm pretty much, with a couple exceptions, still like that. Yet I am this. This is talking about how the Spirit's presence in us, which is a fact of the gospel, objective, 
how the Spirit's presence in us is guaranteeing our deliverance from 725 from these mortal bodies that live according to the flesh. That's happening. This is how it's happening. Verse 14 is reminding us that those in whom this is happening are bona fide sons of God despite the war and the struggle in chapter 7. I am a son of God because I am led by the Spirit. That's what the text is saying. And I didn't make that happen. I don't tell the Spirit to lead me. I don't give Him permission. I love the song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. But semantically, right? Like, I'm sure God is like, I appreciate that. Thank you. I will do what I want to do. I really appreciate you being a gentleman about the whole thing. Right? I don't tell the Spirit to lead me. He leads me. I didn't make Him come to me. He was given to me as a gift. Beloved, there's nothing, nothing about putting the deeds of the body to death that is characteristic to human nature. The old me, this body of death, being led by the Spirit then is a state of being. It's not a technique I figure out how to do. He is leading. He's not working for me. He's working on me. To have the indwelling Spirit means that I'm being led by the Spirit. That's what it means that I have Him. I'm called to follow. More than anything, however, it means I have a Heavenly Father who loves me because I'm His Son. Only because I've been baptized into Christ who is the Son of God. The second Adam. The new Israel. The true Israel. All my identification is one God calls His own. The fact that I can think of myself as a son, his child, all of that is by him. All my identification as one God calls his own is his work in and for me. And my father has given me his spirit for the journey from being baptized into Christ and salvation to eternal life. The Spirit is in charge of putting the deeds of my body to death. He leads. What I need to learn to do is believe the Word. That's what we, that's what we have to do. And since He is leading and I am not, I will live. Since He is putting the deeds of my body to death, or is in charge of putting the deeds of my body to death, and I'm not, I will live. That's the conclusion or the basis for what we read in verse 15 here. For, in other words, because I am a son of God, because you are a son of God, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Notice that's a proper noun there, right? Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. It's as if Paul says here, did you hear that? That's how you, that's how I, I read verse 15. Did you all hear that? What, why would we be afraid? Why would we give up? Because the struggle to be righteous, to put sin to death, never seems to stop. Why would I let that discourage me and make me think Jesus isn't enough and maybe I need to add to Him and do more? When God gave you His Holy Spirit, He didn't give this just a, a, a different spirit of bondage to fear. Like, it used to be just fleshly, I'm going to die. Now it's a very spiritual bondage to fear. Now it's a very holy, pious bondage to fear. That's the spirit I live with. No. No. A fearful Christian is an oxymoron. An enslaved Christian to that fear. Motivated by the fact that if I don't get it right, I am condemned. That, that's not a biblical Christian. That's not a biblical motivation for putting sin to death. There's a very fleshly, fear-based motivation for putting the flesh to death, the deeds of the body to death. There's also a very holy one that comes from Scripture. That's what we want. Right? When God gave you His Holy Spirit, He, he didn't just make you feel more guilty all the time. That's not what the, the Holy Spirit is not a spirit of ongoing fear and bondage. That, that, that's not what He does. And so often I think you can get the idea from the pulpit that like my job, a preacher's job is to make you doubt your salvation just so you get things right. Right? If, if I can, if I can kind of punish you and just 
just pressure you into thinking, man, I got to get more serious. I might not be saved. Where is that in the Bible? If I've not been given again because I had it before, just without the Holy Spirit, I lived in bondage to the fear of death and sin. I don't have a new version of that with the Holy Spirit. He didn't give us a different spirit of bondage to fear so that we live in fear all the time and lack assurance. Right? Hebrews 2.14. If, if you, so I used to love, and I mean love, uh, everything I could get my hands on from John MacArthur. That was, it was very formative to me in the early to mid 90s. Uh, and there was this book called Saved Without a Doubt. And uh, we, we went through it in, in our Sunday school class that my dad taught. And basically what the book was doing is like each chapter was a question that if you can answer it in the affirmative, then you know you're saved. So that you would have assurance and you'd be saved without a doubt. The whole book is, are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you doing this more than you used to before you were saved? Have you stopped doing this? Right? And so it, it's, it's not that any of those things, you know, stopping the way that you lived before, that that's... Beautiful. Praise God for that. It's, it's not what I'm saying. But where is that book telling you you have to look to know that you're in Christ? You. There's nothing of the cross in there. The cross is in the peripheral. Look, God got you in. Now you owe Him. And if you only know if you're in, if you can answer all these questions about your piety in the affirmative. And so you had this, um, you know, that what, what he kind of, I guess in response to Charles Ryrie, who they accused of like, Easy believism, you got lordship salvation. And I think that was an, I think both of those were overcorrections in my very young opinion. But I, I so you, the idea of lordship salvation, so you get phrases like this. Yes, Jesus is your savior, but is he your lord? Right? Right? What are the implications of that question? So if he's just my savior, I'm not saved. He also has to be your lord. And what that means is, you're getting things progressively righter and righter about yourself. And so they would say, I read this, right, that um, I hope this is, is helpful to you because I don't want to ramble through this here, which I'm doing by not talking about, by talking about rambling. So the, the idea is that if you feel fear about your salvation and that maybe you're not saved and in Christ, that's the Holy Spirit trying to wake you up. Because the devil would never do anything that would make you go to God to make sure you're saved, right? That's why you don't build theologies on things that aren't in the Bible, even if they're pious. That's a created, that's a false category. The, the, the question is raised by all this talk. You know, how, what do I do with the feeling that I, that I'm not saved? That, that's a man-made category. You can sell a lot of books with that. Right. So now that we have this category we've created, we're also going to create the answers to that new category and you're going to live there. And so if you're feeling guilty and afraid, what you need to know is that's not the devil trying to make you doubt your salvation. That's the Holy Spirit, because trying to get you to be afraid because you're not measuring up. And, right. No, 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 it's not. I did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. That is not what the Holy Spirit is doing in believers. It's not. Right? Conviction of sin comes from all kinds of sources. We feel convicted about sin before we're even saved. We know that something is off. We know there's a law we're not living up to. Does the Bible support the idea that the Holy Spirit's job in me is to keep me on the straight and narrow and make me afraid so that I don't blow it? No. So, next question, right? Beloved, don't, don't look in yourself. And I'm not, I'm not saying by any means whatsoever, in any way, shape, or form, that those that will hold the Lordship Salvation or something, or John MacArthur, who's been in ministry longer than I've been alive, is like not a Christian or something. Please don't hear that. I don't think that at all. I really don't like Lordship Salvation, though. But, I mean, you, you, you got to get your information from the text. God did not put us, God does not save us, and, and what he's doing is simply putting us in the position to now be more enlightened about how afraid we should be of condemnation. 
That the Holy Spirit isn't doing that. He's not doing that. Right, so if he didn't put a spirit of bondage again to fear so that I live in fear all the time and lack assurance. No, Hebrews 2.14 says this. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. So he suffered, came in flesh and suffered. That through death, he, Jesus, might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Who's in charge of making me afraid that I'm going to die? The devil, not the spirit. All right, you see it right there. That's not what the spirit is doing. The devil does that. You're going to die. You're going to lose your soul. You're not a good Christian. Get out of here. You're still doing the same stuff you did 20 years ago. What a joke you are. What an affront you are to Jesus, whom you say you love and trust. You ever talk to yourself like that? You ever hear that? But that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't need to keep you by threatening you. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. (laughs) How am I going to beat death? I'm going to die and come back from the dead. Right? That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And he's the one that can wield death like a weapon. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to what? Bondage. Fear. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham, the sons of God, right? Those of faith. So, when God gave us his Holy Spirit, which he does for everyone who is baptized into Christ, right? There's not a second work you need that work, where then you receive the Spirit to be born again, to be baptized into Christ, is to have the Holy Spirit. He's there. In every believer, when he did that, he was not enslaving us with what is just a a lighter chain to live to lives of fear and anxiety that we will suffer eternal death. It is only without Christ that we would ever fear death. We already had that kind of spirit of fear and bondage once. Before we were in Christ. We had life by our flesh. So... We were going to die forever. That's why we were slaves to fear. Because we knew, I'm going to die. right? I'm going to give an account and I'm not ready. But this is not how the Holy Spirit works in us. I want to press this. The Holy Spirit of God is the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit is the spirit in us that says, You, you simoeustis et peccator, you simultaneously just and sinner. You spiritually schizophrenic pilgrim in exile in this world. You are God's own child. And this pilgrimage will be both up and down through this world. Two steps forward, five steps back. Ten steps forward, one step back. On and on it goes. And I, the Holy Spirit of God, will be right here. You can go ahead and put your face in pig slop for a while because you think I won't take you back. Go ahead. And when you come out and you smell like filth, I'll be right here. And when you come home and you come to your senses again and come home, I'm not even going to let you get to the door. Right? That's Luke 15. In fact, by this Spirit whom we've received and by whom we're alive, when we are on our knees in the garden of our own sin and filth, our hearts sweating blood because we know what God requires of us and it's weighing on us. And from here, it's so dark, it doesn't seem like we can do it. I can't do this, God. I can't resist this temptation. I can't get around this Thing I can't forgive that person from my heart like you forgave me. I can't. 
I can't bear with people in their burdens. People drive me nuts. I, I can't be patient. I can't be pure. Find another way, God. To just can, can you just take me out of this world now in this moment so that I stop this struggle and this, this sinning? It, it, it's killing me. I'm going to die because of this. Get me out of here. I can't bear the burden of what you've commanded me to do. And I know it's right and I should do it and must do it. And I'm telling you, I don't think I can do it. Not saying we, of course, have to enunciate it that way with precision, just the, the, that, that spirit. Now, and here's the thing. Did Jesus get another cup when he prayed that way? Did God take that cup that he had to drink away and change it? No, he did not. Well, Tony said, then, so what? How helpful is that encouragement? You're, what you're telling me is you're, you're, I'm going to pray like that and go before God and not be able to whip this and become perfect and quit doubting all the time. And I'm going to ask God, basically, I'm going to or at least think in my head that he can go another way than the cross. Like maybe he could get me around dying because I feel like I'm dying every day. Maybe there's another you're saying he's not going to get that's the way he's going to that's the way it's going to be. I'm, I'm going to be up and down my whole life, struggling my whole life. How does that help me, Tony? Beloved, the beauty of being told to pray is not so much a guarantee that we're going to get everything we ask for. You know that it doesn't work that way, right? Often God answers in the affirmative. I think more often He answers in the negative. But the beauty of prayer if we, is prayer. You get to do that. You have an audience with the creator of the universe literally whenever you want it. If you have a good relationship with your earthly dad, okay, is he available every time you call or want to do something or go somewhere? It's, it's weird when you get in, you know, I'm... I'm pushing 50 now and how often you know my dad will call me and want to do something and I can't do it isn't it amazing that in your darkest moments when you are at your worst and you're at your weakest and the devil is right there of course because that's what he does they're weak now I'll attack Maybe you've seen the Passion of the Christ and the opening scene of Christ in the garden and the weight of everything on him. And, and you see the, the figure that's supposed that, 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 that Satan kind of lurking there in the shadows and chiding him and messing with him because that's what he does. He can't fight Jesus face to face. So he'll wait until the devil thinks, oh, he's about to break. Did you know that when you are like that, the Father has said, you come to me and you put the words of my only begotten Son in His weakness on your lips because I'm listening to you. When you read the Abba Father here in Romans 8, which, which could be well, that's another thing. When you read Abba Father, the last time you saw it, you know where you saw it? It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And before that, you had never seen it before. So there, there has to be a link here. When I hear Abba Father in Romans 8, my mind should go, where, did, where have I heard that? Where have I heard that? Where? The Garden. Jesus prayed that in the Garden. Well, what was happening in the Garden? He was suffering. Why? Because He wasn't God's Son? No, because He was God's Son. Because God loved Him. And God loved you. When you're there, come to me. I'm listening. See, I'm in charge of your life. Come to me. Come to me. You can put the words of Jesus Christ himself on your lips whenever you want to. But especially when you feel like you can't. Call him Abba. When you are sure that he is done with you. Right? We, we can't come to Him with the words of Christ on our lips because, so, you know, 
because like Jesus, I'm worthy or, or, you know, not because like Jesus, I've only ever obeyed. So I know I can call him that. Not because like Jesus, God has looked down on my perfect obedience and said, that is my beloved son right there. With that one, I'm well pleased. That's not why I can call him Alba. Not because I obeyed, but because I'm God's own child. Because I'm God's own child. Period. I talk about this a lot with my own kids. You know, we have a lot. If you're the preacher, the people you're going to talk to the most about your sermons are your wife and your kids, right? What is that? What did you mean by that? What did you, and, and, you, if you and I are motivated to impress upon our kids, look, please don't run from me and your mom when you mess up. All right? Don't run away from home. Don't think, like, don't get mad because you think we're, we don't love you. Don't run to somebody else. You have to tell that to my girls all the time, right? Not that they're out like, they're not floozies. That's not what I meant, you know. But you know what I mean. Like, don't, don't believe that somebody else out there can love you like your mom and I can. And I know that one day I gotta let you go. I get it. And if, 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 if you found a good guy or if you've decided I, you know, I don't wanna get married, that, that, that's fine. Okay? That's fine. And I know the day will come that they'll love you in a way that your mom and I even can't love you, but nobody can love you like your mom and I can love you. It's a different thing. You will never, ever be unwelcome at this table. Right? We're never locking the door on you. The only way I'd not let you stay here is if you're a serious physical threat to your mother. Other than that, like, Dad, I blew it. I, I messed up. Okay, come home. You're safe here. They'll eat you alive out there. I'm not happy with what you did. But come home. This is home. If we can pull that off, <laughs> if we can pull that kind of love off, beloved, why do we think that after a couple, a string of sins that I guarantee you he's seen before and worse and was dying for, that then he's going to say, oh, for Pete's sakes, don't even come. Don't know. What does he say to you when he knows that this is the struggle and it's going to be the struggle because that's not changing. That's going to be the way it is. The cross was going to happen. There wasn't a way around it. The struggle with the flesh is going to happen. There's not a way around it. So, what does he tell you? Pray to me like I'm your dad. Because I am. Right? You're loved and treasured by God. So much. Right? Not because you're a, a beautiful shining star. It's, it's, it's because he loves you. When, when you are at the end of your rope on this earth and with what your flesh cannot accomplish, you come to me. Because I'm not just a father, I am your father. So you call me Abba. Right? It's uncomfortable when you have a title and people that are your close friends or family call you by that title, isn't it? Right? Like, I don't, I, you may call me pastor, reverend, whatever you're comfortable with. That's not what I'm saying here. Okay? I'm simply saying, like, it's weird. Like, if my kids refer to me as pastor. Now, just a quick, funny parenthesis. Do you know what my kids call me? A false prophet. That's what they call me all the time. Like, uh, and I hear them talking to their friends. Now, our dad's a false prophet. They think it's hilarious. So, that's, <laughs> it's true. that's what they call me. <laughs> like, well, dad, I wish you weren't a false prophet. Like, that's an ongoing joke in our house. But if they called me pastor, Right? It's not that I'm not a pastor or that, that it's that like, you're my child. I, I kind of don't, please don't call me pastor. Like, or if like my dad called me pastor, I, I couldn't, right? Or your, your title, like when you go home, if you're like uh, a, a, a military, like a general or, or, or a police officer, you don't want to be called by your title. This is home. Everybody's safe here. This, this is, this place is characterized by love, not by authority and threat and coercion. So don't just, I'm dad here or daddy or, you know, whatever it is. And that's how the sense in Abba is that. It's not really the Aramaic. The Aramaic word is not daddy. I know we've kind of went with that. That's not the word. It's, it's more of a, it's a word. Hebrew is different than English. And Greek is different than English. And so it, you're kind of getting this idea encapsulated in a word of just familial 
intimacy, something exclusive to the love that there only is in a family. That kind of fatherly love. And God says, talk to me like that. You have the Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. You have these exalted titles to call me, and they're right and true, and do continue to call me that. I am worthy of that. This God talking, right? But like when you're doubting whether or not you're my child, you call me Abba. Call me Abba. It's close to it in Arabic and Jewish. You'll hear they, they call their dads Baba. It's close, right? right? You call me Abba when you know you're about to die. You may talk to me like Jesus talked to me because you're loved and you're mine. And I don't care what you did today. Now, God saying that is not God winking over your sin. God doesn't have to be vexed by what you did today because what you did today and what you haven't even done yet, it was taken care of 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. That's how long my forgiveness has been in the bank. And if you think biblically that the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, then I think, I think we're going to be okay. Beloved, God is pleased with you. Christian, God is pleased with you. And you don't have to do anything to change. Or you didn't do anything to change his disposition toward you from one of enmity to sonship. The Holy Spirit is not a spirit that is in us to make sure we don't mess up and make us feel horrible when we do. I don't know where we got it in our heads that the Holy Spirit is like the nun walking around with a ruler who will wrap us on the knuckles when we get out of line. That's not what he does. The Spirit of God will not make you afraid. He will not instill fear. Beloved, that is the enemy. And the enemy is and always will be and always has been a liar. We don't live, we don't become holy through an oppressive spirit of fear and bondage living in us. We had one of those before from our flesh. It didn't make us holy. We had the witness to the eternal law of God in our hearts. It didn't make us holy. We are not slaves in the field. We are sons at the table. So we, God is saying, I want you to talk to me and relate to me like you're my son. What it means that we can cry out to God, Abba, Father, is that we are sons of God indeed. We are a son like Jesus is. We're not God's only begotten son. That's exclusively the title of Christ. We're not divine, but we are beloved, beloved, right? We are that. This is such a crucial revelation for you today, believer. The Holy Spirit will not make us doubt our salvation. The Spirit, by virtue of His presence, which we know is true because of God's promise, not because of our feelings, that Spirit, the Spirit of adoption, will make me know that I'm God's Son. He will do that. Now, hearing that revelation here, in this context, has to mean that this is the way the Spirit puts to death the deeds of the body in us. It's connected to the fact that we can call God Abba Father. So when the Spirit is pushing you to pray like a son, you know what He's doing? Pulling you further and further away from the flesh that you cannot defeat. By calling you home. He wants to bring you inside the house and show you the Father's love for you. That I think is how the Spirit puts to death the deeds of the body. Beloved, we need faith. We need more faith. Not, there's a certain level of faith and then you're saved. That's not how I mean it. I mean, if we really want to be serious about killing sin in our lives, we're going to have to come home and eat with Dad at the table. And let him make the food, pour the drinks, He'll bring all the bread and the wine. You bring the mess. He'll bring the bread and the wine. The presence of the Spirit does not create the same fearful, desperate, enslaved person that the Spirit of my flesh did. Period. The Spirit has come. He's not come to dwell in us with the ministry of conviction and condemnation. We did not receive an orientation of the mind to live by that keeps us in constant fear of not living up to the new standard of the Spirit inside of us. God has put the new man in us. 
what's going to happen now as we live, that we're going to realize, as Paul did, as he gets older, I'm really far from the mark. All right, Paul went from, don't, you know, don't think too much of me, I'm the least of all the apostles, to saying, I'm the chief of sinners at the end of his life. I'm the worst person I know. And again, I know I've said this before, but I don't think Paul was like a rebel-rousing dirtbag that happened to be saved. I think Paul was probably one of the best of us. And at the end of the man's life, why is he saying that? Is he just patronizing? Uh, you know me, I'm the chief of sinners. And How are you doing, Paul? Uh, better than I deserve, right? Well, okay. Right? I think Paul was a godly man. Why is he saying he's the chief of sinners? Because he's home with dad in his prayer life every day. That love, love is different. Grace is different. There's nothing like it in the world. Grace transforms by existing. And we keep trying to live Christian lives without it. I need a grace to get saved. I need works to get better. You need grace to get saved. You need grace to stay saved. You need grace to get better. You need grace to get to heaven. You need grace to get up in the morning. You need grace to go to bed at night. You need grace to be kept while you're sleeping. Grace, 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 grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. We can't talk too much about it now. Or what? Or what? Well, I mean, you know, what? Uh, uh, The other people in the church are going to take it the wrong way and sin too much, but not you. Not you. You're worried for other people's sinfulness, not yours. You're fine. I can handle all the grace talk about about the sinners in the church. I want you to know, beloved, it's... Well, I'm way off track here. We've received the spirit of adoption, of the ongoing assurance of a father to his son, that he really is in the family. That's what's happened, right? So verse 16... The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. That's what He does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He bears witness with our spirit that we may or may not be children of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That bearing witness is happening to Christians from chapter 7 struggling and at war with their flesh. Don't ever forget that. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children, if that's what we are, which the text has said, that's what you are. So he's picking up, so that's how Paul uses if, remember? The condition presented has been proven to be true, right? And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. When and where are we suffering with Jesus? On our knees, in the garden of our weakest and darkest moment, not knowing how in the world that what he said is true can be true of me, given what I'm facing. Suffering in the garden with him when he cried out, Abba, Father. I think that's the suffering he's specifically speaking of here. We really get everything we need for our Christian life from just reading the Gospels and the life of Jesus. Reading the scriptures, I mean. The mention of suffering alongside crying out Abba really does put us right in the garden with Jesus that night, doesn't it? The suffering of Jesus in the garden is the suffering of a bona fide child of God. You can't get more bona fide as God's son than Jesus. That's the suffering you and I suffer with Jesus. I know that I'm yours, but I don't know how to get out of this darkness. This is the suffering that creates the need to call God Abba. And the assurance that we indeed can. So again, if we are what the Spirit says we are, children of God, and what He does is testify to the inner man that we are indeed what the Word says we are, even though we're the back-and-forth Christian of Romans chapter 7. Again, that's who he's talking to. That's who he's saying, you need to cry out, Abba, Father. You need to remember that the Spirit is in you, and you're a son. I know this is happening. I know the struggle is happening, and the suffering through it is happening, because you have the new man inside of you, and you don't want to be a wretched sinner anymore. And it seems like no matter what you do, you can't get past it. It seems like this is the way it's going to be, 
And you hope that maybe God can make you perfect enough that you don't struggle, but that's not in the cards. He's, he's going to kill you so he may bring you to new life. So, and, and there's no way around that. So you're going to need to cry out, Abba, Father, in the midst of all this. Just like he did when particular to his suffering in his human nature, right? Uh, in his divine and human nature as the Son of God for that task. It's not like he was suffering with his own sin, but that same idea. When you are like, when, when you're there, when you're like, I can't get around this. I can't get out of my own way. Like there's not another way past this, but to struggle back and forth so that what I need all the time is faith in you and in the promise. I can't just rest in my own works. I can't be good enough to not be so afraid anymore. God says you don't need to be afraid anymore. I have you. My spirit is in you. Call me Abba and live. I'm not leaving or forsaking you. And crying out Abba is the evidence. I mean, what, what a thing. Anybody can say Abba. You, you know what he means. That crying out when you're so dead on your feet that you can't even see straight and, and spiritually you're sweating blood. Nothing like Christ suffered. That's not what I mean. But you, you understand, I hope, the connection I'm trying to make. That when you're there, that's when I want you to remember the most that you're my child. Because I don't want you running away. I don't want you leaving this house. Jesus in the garden is the pioneer of the life of faith in this world. He's what it's going to be like. All right. It's 12 o'clock. It's time to stop. Oh, man. I wanted to say that stuff the most. All right. Let me close, let me close with this, let me close with this quote, okay? This comes from a commentator named Paul Kretzmer. Just give me one thing. When you, when fear is an element in a relationship, that relationship is being characterized by the law. Alright? When you're living by fear, when Christ is your Savior, you are defining the terms of a relationship by the law. Not the gospel. Alright? Now, the quote, and then we'll stand. The very fact that this witnessing of the Spirit is entirely independent of our own feelings, of our state of mind at any given time. Notice that's not in the text. That you'll feel anything. It's just what is true. The very fact that this witnessing of the Spirit is entirely independent of our own feelings, of our state of mind at any given time, makes it so certain and reliable that we are dear children of our Heavenly Father. Live with the Abba Father in your heart and on your lips. Amen.